Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Today, I would ask you to join me in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. We'll probably read most of this a couple of times today. I woke up this morning, and I can't hardly open my jaw. So I'm really hoping that uh, I will either 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 work loose or you won't be able to notice it now that I've brought it to your attention. So if I say things, it's just the jaw. If, uh, if I speak out of turn, it's, uh, it's my jaw. Uh, if it's not clear, it's very distracting to me. But, uh, but what am I supposed to do? So uh, verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, There is going to be a, a great deal that is covered in this message today. Uh, and and it's is it, 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 I don't want to draw your attention to something that's not bothering you, but it might be a little warm in here. Is it a little warm? All right. Okay. Uh, you're going to have to shake some of that off, okay? Uh, and so if you need to, during the message, not get up and leave, but to get up and stand, if you need to punch your neighbor because the snoring is... Uh, obstructive to your ability to think, that's okay too. Whatever you need to do to stay awake, I would encourage you not to slump, maybe to keep your feet on the floor, Uh, because we're going to cover some things today that are 100% paramount to everything else we will ever teach. Okay, so it's incredibly important for us to to hear this message, because I believe that God is giving us and directing us for such a time as this in our nation, in our world. Now, I'm going to give some some clarity on some things as we go through and begin by saying that God does not, regardless of how we feel, God does not have favorites. He does not play politics. He does not give or honor special treatment. His desire, though, from the very beginning is for the whole world. And so let me break some things down, and I, I want to be very, very clear as I, as I do this, because there are some nuances, not, not like specific teaching, but some subtle, subtle things that I'm going to be working through today. Jesus doesn't just care about everyone. He cares about each one. Okay, there's a big difference in saying that God so loved the world. That's why we would say, for God so loved Blaine. You know, it moves from the big generic general statement to the he loves you. He loves everyone, but he loves each one. And so when it comes to like, and I'm going to be a little harpy today, and so I barely apologize for some of that because I want us to hear this. When it comes to the Christian community, sometimes we think in terms of wholeness or collectively. For instance, we say things like uh, uh, the church does this or our church does this, regardless of whether the individual person is participating or practicing at all. We, we speak collectively in groups or Uh, wholeness, like a movement, the church of God, regardless of where our place is in it. And I want to make that distinction because when we begin to think about our lives, we think very personally. My dreams, my plans, my hopes, my personal time, me time. We, We think when it comes to our lives, we think very individualistically. 
when we think about the mandate of God for the nations, we think very collectively. And I would challenge us to knock it off. Because while God gave us a mandate as a church, we must accept that mandate as individual participators in the great call and mission of God for the nations. We have to see it personally. We have to see it individually. So we see the commands of Jesus to us, but we see the freedoms that Jesus brings to me. And as long as someone is involved or being our tribute, we are satisfied simply identifying with it and benefiting from it. But when the gospel of Jesus resides deeply in us and we dwell on it, I mean, we spend our lives, so we're surrendered to it, we, we, we give our lives for it, it transforms our thinking into a, an outwardly global view. And this was ultimately the work. If you look back at Jesus' ministry with the 12, you will see this is the work that he did with the disciples while he was on earth. They all got engaged at a personal, at a personal level, bought in at a personal level. But Jesus began to shift their thinking from how they could benefit to how they could serve, yet as individuals, as it was an individual ministry. This commissioning of the Jesus' disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations. There are three writers in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all refer to this particular event. And yet Luke, when he writes the history of the church to Theophilus in the book of Acts, he begins his letter, his narrative, by referring to this a second time. Three writers in four accounts. And often, when you read through them, you will see they have different details, but not varying details. In fact, they become, they become a whole story, a consistent narrative, not contradictory. Jesus' command was to make disciples, to go, to baptize, to teach. And if you look at this, and we're going to break this down into some exegesis, and you don't have to know what that word means, and I'm not going to explain it a whole whole lot. But if you look down at the original languages of that, the going, the baptizing, and the teachings are all participles, right? They're, They're verbs, but they're participles. And each one of them ties back to the making disciples. And so Jesus is not telling them to do four things, to make disciples and to go and to baptize and to teach. He's telling them to do one thing that is includes these three things in order to accomplish that one thing making disciples includes going baptizing teaching and so Jesus's teaching here is not complicated it is very very simple but the call to make disciples is every believer each follower of Jesus's mandate, purpose for being. It's easy to understand, but sometimes our selfishness, whether it's Western thought or our individualism, whatever it is, it gets in the way and we begin to neglect it because we get busy. We have a lack of confidence or we think we must learn more or any other form of excuse, but we relegate ourselves as bystanders to watch the great evangelists of the church accomplish our mandate. This is a little snarky. But at the end, this is not the great suggestion. It is the Great Commission. It is the mandate of not the church, of every follower of Jesus Christ. When we used to, for hundreds of years, in fact, you would get to this passage in Matthew 28 and it would say, go into all the nations. And some people would be challenged by this and they would go. Men like Hudson Taylor. I'm going to tell a whole lot of stories today, though I really want to. But Hudson Taylor stood up and he said, we've got to go where the gospel has never been heard. And these learned 
Christian godly men sitting in a room with a round table said, if God wants to reach the heathen, he'll reach him without your help. That's, that is mighty holy thinking. God is so sovereign, he'll reach him without you. And yet, here, Jesus says, I am sending you. And so for years, hundreds of years, missions means to another country. It means that you have to be uncomfortable, that you have to give up everything, and very, very few will do that. It's not for everyone. I can't do it. Health reasons, financial reasons, relationship reasons, all sorts of reasons. And so I am absolved. What do you need from me so that you can do it? And this went on for a really, a really long time. And then the teaching came in. It was not go like you have to give up everything to go. We began to teach that it was as you are already going. As you are going. And that's true. It is present tense. It is right this moment as you are living your life, as you are uh, breathing, as you are working, as you are relating, as you are shopping, whatever it is that you're doing, you need to look for the missional aspect of that. So missions is now reduced to the minuscule. Be nice to people. As you are going, be kind to people, smile, greet people, shake hands, say bless you to strangers. They'll know just in your lifestyle, just be good, just be good and you'll make a difference. So we watered it down to where very few were going and now... Very few are living it out in their daily life. But I want us to be very clear on this. Jesus did not call us to make a difference. He called us to make disciples. His kingdom looks different because of disciple making, not difference making. And this cannot be accomplished without intentional choices, intentional surrender, and trusting in the work that Jesus is doing in my life every day as I go. And I'm telling you, if you will live this, that way in your everyday life, it will eventually seep into the nations as well. There's a ripple effect. So one of the most important things that I'm going to say today is this is not a call to missions. Usually when we're talking about missions or missionaries, everybody wants to go to Matthew 28. And while that may be good, this is not a call to missions. This is a call to mission. It's a significant difference. When missions is something that we do, it is something that can be neglected. But when we are one with Jesus... Mission is who we are, and it seeps out of every thought and every word and every action and everything that we do, and it cannot be avoided. It's not a burden that we have to work through. It is a privilege and an honor for those who know the incomparable Jesus Christ. So Jesus moves beyond some of us to all of us. He moves us from what we do, missions, to who we are on mission. Old things passed away, all things become new. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Take every thought captive to Christ. Over and over we see this consistent pattern in the life of someone who calls the incomparable Jesus their own. Mission is not a specific calling. It's a general calling. Some people say, I've not been called to missions. Maybe, but I promise you've been called to mission. If you've not been called to mission, it was not Jesus' voice. 
Jesus may have said, as you go, but ultimately, I'm going to send you everywhere. As you go, but everywhere. He told them that they are to do as they get what they're to do as they go, baptize, teach, trust him. Now, I know this is some, a, little, a little hard to hear, but, but I want us to try to stay, stay clued in because I haven't even got to the message yet, okay? This is all just introductory stuff. But our ultimate desire as individuals is to live our best life. And, and I'm telling you that living your best life, again, we all want that naturally. It will not, living your best life will not require his presence nor his authority. For you to get what you want will not require his presence or his power. But this job, this mission, this mandate will require his presence and his power. He is creating an atmosphere where we are completely dependent upon him. And if you go back and you look at what Mark and Luke both write about this event, they both mention this as a global call. We'll get into that in just a few moments. Last week we looked at this disciple making from a home perspective. We, we, we learned about the importance of telling your story to your children and discipling your children and telling them what they are to hear. And we kind of left it there uh, as the mandate of the Old Testament is to start with your home. And I am convinced that God has given us relationships of concentric circles. He gives us, a, 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 in, in a lot of cases, a spouse to practice prayer and patience and graciousness and forgiveness with. In a place where there is, some of you are laughing way too hard at that, but there, there is a, a place where it can, is uninhibited. Like It requires very little risk for me to trust my wife or to lead my wife in that way. With my children, a little more because I can't predict them at all times. But because of my relationship with my wife and her support, we can lead them together in unity and we can teach them and we can I, I keep wanting to say control but it's not that <laughs> but we can influence and we can make disciples in our own home as we move beyond that thank God he gives us one another it requires a little more risk for me to trust you than it does my children but I know what you claim to be and so here I am. I'm going, to, I'm going to lean in to one another. And we're going to teach each other. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to tell each other our sins. We're going to forgive each other. We're going to give preference to one another. We're going to honor one another. But then as we go out there, oh boy, it takes a lot more risk for that. But if I've not practiced in my home or I've not practiced in my church, I'm not ready for that. And so many people want to jump in at the wrong place. It's like they want to be evangelists to the world or they want to make this global call. But even their own home isn't saturated with the mission of God. I say all of that to say that last week we talked about the importance of practicing of practicing disciple-making, learning over a period of time so that when God does make his mission clear to us as we go, we are ready for that. I want to make it palatable, tangible for us to understand that God was very intentional from the very beginning of how to reach the nations. He started with Abraham. Who reached his children? Who reached their children? And God gave them a nation. And they were to practice with each other so that they may reach the nations. And they failed miserably. And God already had another plan in place. His church, all people, for all people. 
so that the nations may know his glory. All right. We're going to look at the book of Matthew for a moment. But I want us, this is maybe a little bit too much, but there are two ways of reading the Gospels. Uh, and I want, I want to kind of instill this in us now because we may use it from time to time. But there is a horizontal way of reading the Scripture and there is a vertical way of reading the Scripture, okay? A, a horizontal way of reading the Scripture is when you look at what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and any other writer of the Bible says about a particular event. For instance, let's use Christmas. It's super easy. Tell me the Christmas story. Chances are, if you don't use the Bible, you will use parts of each one of the Gospels as you give me the whole picture. And yet, Matthew was very particular about who he was writing to and why. Mark, the same. Luke, the same. Matthew is writing to Jews. Luke is writing to Greeks. They do not have the same objective. They do not have the same audience. When you get to John, John tells a completely different story to a completely different group. And he, his idea of the Christmas story was the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's move on to the meat. And so if we read the, 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 new, the uh, Gospels horizontally, then we will miss some of the reasons why Matthew includes what he does. So today I want us to really look at vertically understanding Matthew, okay? Because Matthew uses this event as the, the end bookend of the story that he's telling for very specific reasons. And so we can tie a lot of, of what Matthew is trying to say to Jews because this is so important. For this message to get out to Gentiles, it's so important to see it from a Jewish side. And so Matthew's gospel ends with the expectation of this continued mission and, and teaching. And Matthew can be divided up into five parts each of those ends with a block of Jesus' teaching. And you may not see it that way when you read it vertically, but when you read it or, uh, uh, vertically, but you see it uh, when you read it ver vertically, not horizontally, is what I'm trying to say. So very quickly, Jesus, right out of the gate, begins the Sermon on the Mount. He's born, he lives, he, he uh, relates to his family, uh, he, he learns carpentry, uh, he, he has an identity as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and as he begins his ministry, he, he is baptized, and then he ends that with the Sermon on the Mount. Here's how you relate daily with one another. Here's how your marriage should look. Here's how your heart should look as you engage with one another. And he spends quite a bit of time explaining to their, to their ears this daily living. Then there is more life to be lived. And Jesus finishes that with what is called the mission discourse, where he talks about living intentionally in the kingdom. And then Jesus lives a little more, and then he comes to a series of teachings on the parables, making all of these truths relatable through stories. And then Jesus lives a little more and he does some things and he exposes them to some experiences and then he gives them the discourse on the nature of relationships and the purpose of the church or of the Christian community. And then finally, we have the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 or the Sermon of End Things where Jesus teaches them about the signs and the things that will come at the end. Now, the reason that's important is because at the last, this last discourse, there's some more living to be done. Specifically, the Last Supper and the arrest of Jesus and the trial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And we just came to the end of the sixth section of Matthew. It's the section where the readers of Matthew would say, it's about time for another oratory of Jesus so that he can sum up all these things for us. And so Jesus summons all of his disciples, the 11, to join him up on the mountain. And oh, this sounds familiar. This is what always happens when Jesus gives us the, 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 the story or the explanation and he gets up there and yet Jesus doesn't preach. Jesus doesn't teach. 
In fact, rather than Jesus doing the exposition to them, the expositing to them, what Jesus does instead is he gives them that responsibility. Now it's theirs. No one saw this coming because Matthew had set a pattern and the pattern wasn't followed at the end. Instead, the pattern was continued through each follower that had been exposed to the ministry of Jesus. Those that had been transformed by his life was now responsible for the delivery of its message. His work is now relegated to them. It's interesting too because this is a this is kind of a new place for Jesus to do this in Galilee. The disciples haven't read the book of Matthew yet. They, they don't know what's coming. They think they're getting ready to be told something. They're getting ready to get, receive the explanation of something. Galilee is at a crossroads to the nations. It was a cross-cultural city. It was right on the edge of the Gentiles, and many gen this area was heavily influenced by Gentile people. And instead of Jesus preaching and teaching in this area, Jesus tells them that they're next. He gives them his ministry. And he also gives, imparts to them everything that they will need to be fruitful. He reveals to them that everything up to this moment, he has been modeling it all for them. So Jesus shifts their thinking and Jesus shifts their paradigm a bit. They've been focused on outreach and evangelism, but now he shifts to disciple making. And, and I'm not, maybe, perhaps they weren't completely aware that this is what Jesus has been doing into them for all this time. That they were a part, they thought they were a part of Jesus's like entourage. They didn't realize that they were a part of Jesus's mission too. They were learning from him how to do the things that he is now mandating for them to do. Now they're scratching their heads saying everything Jesus taught was so that we could know, not just be informed, but so we would know how to teach. Every miracle was accomplished so that we would know how. Every demon that was exercised was so that we would know how. Every healing was so that we could understand that he was the Messiah. Everything that Jesus did in front of us, it was to inspire us so that we could have this mandate and continue it. They aren't just to preach and to teach and to move on. They are to preach and to teach and to replicate Jesus in people so that when they leave, the people they reach can continue to reach as well. Jesus had now, they realized, Jesus had replicated himself in them. And so here we're focused on replication. Evangelism and outreach is very important. But... It expires if discipleship isn't included. We talked about last week, it's only one generation deep if there's not discipleship that continues the ministry. So the Great Commission is a command to proclaim the gospel that involves communicating the good news. What is the good news? God is for you, and he has a plan for you, and he will use you if you will surrender to him. That is the good news, that you can be restored to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I personally am a testimony of that truth. The restoration of the impossible to the incomparable. That's why your story is so important. We can be joined to him in repentance and surrender. Witnessing to others the personal experience. And so many people set themselves on a shelf because they don't know great theological words or they don't know how to break down a particular book. Or they don't. But I can tell you what you do know. You do know your own story. And that's the story of transformation. 
That's the story of hope. That's the story of joy. And I hope that that's your story. You don't have to break down the book of Matthew. You have to break down your story. I know what I was, but I know what I am. Can we explain it? Not really. There are some things I'm learning. But I know what I was, and I know what I am. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, must be viewed as a climax. You get to the end of Matthew, and if you've ever read the book of Matthew, you might get to the end and say, whoop, finished another book, check. Next, what's the next book I'm going to read? But it's not the end of the book. It's not the end of the book. It is the pivot point of the book. It is the defining moment in the story. Jesus has been driving toward this the entire time. He said, a time will come when all men everywhere will worship in spirit and in truth, right? All men everywhere. Jesus has already told the disciples, but you will do greater works than these You look back at the text and you see verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But what? Some doubted. They are practicing obedience. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now this isn't the first time that they see Jesus. This is no great surprise to them. They have seen him. They have been walking with him for 40 days. But still, they are overcome when they come into his presence. It's one of the first times that we see this happening in Scripture. But he, he was already elevated as their rabbi, as their teacher, but now so much more so. And they are overcome in his presence. Now, don't think of this as they're, they're not singing Chris Tomlin songs for 30 minutes when they get there. But this word simply means to recognize him as superior rank. To recognize him as elevated. Literally, it means to greet him in such a way as to either kiss his hand or to bow before him on your knees with your head on the ground. To demonstrate some sort of godly recognition. They are surrendering to Jesus when they enter into his presence. And they worshiped him. But some what? But some what? What in the world is there to doubt? They have heard his teaching. They have witnessed the dead come to life. They, they, they watched him on the cross and now see him in front of them. They've experienced the resurrection. Maybe they're doubting themselves. Maybe they're wondering why they're there. Maybe they're doubting him. Maybe they they don't understand the nature of Jesus' duality just yet. Maybe they need just some clarity. What does these things mean? What does this moment mean? Why are we here? How could you use us? I don't understand, Jesus, but I can't deny it. So they worshiped him in their doubt. Here's just a few words to doubters. I've had a lot of seasons in my walk with the Lord where I have doubted and I do not deny. I do not deny Jesus, but I have nevertheless doubted. You may remember Judas doubted, and we didn't know it. They didn't know it. Thomas certainly doubted. Peter doubted. You remember Jesus looked at him and said, are you going to leave me too? And they said, well, we've thought about it. I'm making that part up. But it seems to be the implication because to whom would we go? We've considered it. To whom would we go? You have the words of life. That seems like someone who said, I'm going to worship you, but I need some clarity on some things. But I can't deny what you say, and I can't deny that you have the words of life. And then at the hottest point in Peter's opportunity... He denies Jesus three times that he even knew him. But here's what we learn in Matthew 28. Just because you struggle with doubt doesn't mean you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ can can experience doubt. If you doubt, keep worshiping. If you doubt, keep obeying. If you doubt yourself, that's fine. 
Trust Him. If you doubt Him, just keep, keep on. Just keep going. Keep worshiping. He will continue to reveal Himself. If you doubt, keep surrendering. Here's the thing. Matthew is writing this. And Matthew knew their doubt. Maybe Matthew was one of the doubters. But at some point, there was some communication about that moment that made Matthew say, but some doubted. He heard along the way at some point that we're not all in this at the same level. Some of us are scratching our head. If you doubt, you need to find trusted people and share with them the burdens of your heart so that you can pray together. We need each other in these moments. It's okay to doubt. It's not okay not to worship Jesus. Let's move on. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he, he says, and I paraphrase, that Jesus created all things. There was nothing that was made that wasn't made by him. All, right? all things Jesus created. And then what happens, uh, he created all things in heaven and on earth. And then four millennia later, at least, he surrendered himself to his creation and stepped into it as a part of his creation. But now, through the cross, and the last thing he says on the cross is, it is finished. But he has already been enthroned by the Father because of the resurrection, and he has now been given authority in heaven, which he already had, and now on earth. He has been building on this throughout his entire ministry. The authority of Christ is not a new theme in Matthew's gospel. If you read it horizontally, you will miss it. If you read it vertically, it's much harder to miss. In Matthew chapter 4, it is with authority and surrender to the Holy Spirit that Jesus was able to defeat the devil in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus begins to teach, everyone who hears him says he teaches with authority and not as one of the scribes. In Matthew chapter 8, they say, who is this man who has authority over the wind and the seas? He, in chapter 9 of Matthew, he has the power and the authority to forgive sin. Later in that chapter, he reveals that he has the power to heal the sick. And then as they are witnessing this through the first half of Matthew, there begins to be a shift. He has revealed his authority that has been given to him, and now he begins to give it to his disciples. This commission has been building all the way through the book of Matthew. In chapter 10, he says he gave the disciples authority over unclean spirits and over every disease. Later in that chapter, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers. Jesus has all authority. The second half of Matthew reveals Jesus' eternal authority. In chapter 11, he says, all things have already been handed to me. In chapter 22, he quotes David about his enemies being his, his feet, at his feet a footstool. In chapter 24, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not by any means pass away. His authority has already been established in his earthly ministry. But Jesus chose to veil his deity while he was on earth. Jesus had two natures. Was Jesus God? Yes. Was Jesus human? Yes. 100% of both. But because of his resurrection, every self-imposed limits of his human nature have now been lifted. Now, all of a sudden, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what does he do with it? He gives it to us. As long as he indwells us. He chooses to give it to us. Not for our comfort, but for his glory. For the evangelization and the transformation of the nations. All, there is no authority. You remember what he told Pilate? Pilate said, do you not know that I have the power to release you or to 
kill you. Remember what Jesus said? One of my favorite things. You have no power over me except that which is given by the Father. That is a hot moment to say that in. You have no authority because all authority belongs to him. And now in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what am I going to do with it? Go. Make disciples of all the nations. Tell them everything I've told you. Baptize them. Teach them. There's this... They, they aren't, by the way, just now doubting. Uh, but before he, he gives the command in verse 19... He, he doesn't start by saying, all right, guys, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Here's the job. He starts with saying, now, before you jump to conclusions, you need to know that there doesn't exist an authority outside of me. So I, sometimes I will talk that way when I'm trying to talk somebody into doing something that I know they're going to be hesitant. I'm like, well, hear me all the way out because I guarantee you success. All you have to do is just say yes at the end. But I promise that you can do it. I promise you can do it. That's what Jesus is saying right here is, listen, I'm getting ready to ask you to do something or tell you to do something. But before I tell you, you need to know that I have all the authority in the world to make sure and all the authority in heaven to guarantee your, your fruit. There, there are, when you say yes, there are going to be earthly difficulties that are going to rise up against you. But all authority in earth has been given to me. Sometimes there are going to be spiritual difficulties that will rise up against you. But all authority in heaven has been given to me. So whether your difficulties are difficulties of earth or whether your difficulties are circumstances are, are, are spiritual, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The cross is proof of his love. Thank God for the cross. But the empty tomb is proof of his power. So when Jesus counted on the authority of his father over and over he says this the father i didn't say anything the father hasn't given me to say i've not done anything that the father hasn't given me to done jesus was completely dependent upon the authority of his father he has modeled that for them and now he is saying just as i have modeled that for you you can follow in my example i was victorious and i was fruitful and if you will follow my example, you will be too. Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus wasn't a faithful rabbi. For everybody who says, oh, Jesus was just a prophet, I think specifically of Islam, who says Jesus was a great prophet, one of the best prophets. But Muhammad, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something Jesus said. There does not exist authority that doesn't belong to me. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Go, therefore, that word is um, which means because of this. Because I have all authority, verse 19. Go, therefore, go because I have all authority and make disciples of the nations. He's not saying to them, they must obey because he said so. He is saying, you cannot fail if you go with my authority. We're almost, we're almost done. And we're not really, but we will be. This phrase, all the nations... Panta and ethna. Panta ta ethna. Ethnic peoples, people groups. The law, the Old Testament was for the Jews. The gospel is for all people. It was always for all people. You know, very quickly, I don't have time to get into this very deeply at all. In fact, it's not fair to do this. But God chose the Jews. We call it, the Jews are God's chosen people. But not chosen because he prefers them. Chosen because they were his first missionaries. They get, he gave them the missionary call. They were chosen to declare him among the nations. 
God chose them to be the first missionaries, and yet the Jews themselves lost their way. And now that Jesus has fulfilled the law and the command is within him, he gives it away and sustains it to all people. This is not the first time that God has revealed himself to be missional, but it is the first time that he promises to indwell us for his purpose. If you, if you look over in Matthew chapter 8, this is what Jesus said to them. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You hear that? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's going to be there, but there's going to be many that come from other places. This is a, a very much a Gentile, not all Jews, not only Jews, I should say. Verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just because you're a Jew doesn't grant you entrance. Now, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, Jesus actually commanded his disciples to go to the lost sheep of the house of, anybody remember? Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And avoid the Gentiles. But here in verse 19, where are the Jews? Jesus doesn't even mention the Jews here. Does it mean that they're not important? No, it means they're all people. They are now all the nations. They're not specifically mentioned. And Matthew is the one who doesn't mention them. Jewish Matthew doesn't mention the Jews specifically with the gospel call here. The mission isn't only to the Jews or first to the Jews even and then to the Greeks, but all people. <laughs> it's interesting. Do you think the disciples understood it? Did they understand it? Well, Matthew preached in Greece and Turkey, but he died in Russia. Thomas took the gospel to India. Philip went to North Africa. Matthew preached in Ethiopia. Bartholomew went to Armenia and Southern Arabia. Z Simon the Zealot died preaching in Persia. He, they forced him to worship the, the, the uh, God of the sun, and he refused, and they killed him. Peter, of course, died in Rome. And over and over and over we can go. These first hearers, these closest viewers of Jesus, understood that their life was not missions. Their life was on mission. And other than James, the very first martyr who died in Jerusalem, and the persecuted apostle John, all of the disciples died in non-Jewish, non-Hebrew worlds, having left the seat of the gospel that was allowing it to make disciples. They understood the assignment. And we love hearing these stories of faith, but the real question is, why are we less faithful than they? Is the commission not given to us? Or have we been satisfied just outsourcing it? There are 17,000, over 17,200 Ponta and Ethne in the world. 7,200 of them are unreached. 3,295 of them are significantly reached. That means that 41.9% of the world is unreached and unengaged. 19% of the world, less than 20%, is significantly reached. 5.5% of all northern Africa is unengaged. Unengaged means that we don't know of a home that has heard of Jesus. Now, when I say that, 5.5% of northern Africa, there's not one believer or anyone working among them. In certain parts, 72% of Southeast Asia is unengaged. Christians' annual income, who, uh oh, mm, you should have known, $12.3 trillion internationally. 213 billion is given to Christian causes. 11.4 billion is given to international missions. 87% of that 
goes to work being done among the already significantly reached. 12% goes to work among the evangelized but non-Christians yet. 1% among the unevangelized, and listen to this, 0.1% of mission giving in the whole world is given toward mission efforts among the unengaged and unreached. 0.1% is given to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. 8% of the entire world has zero words of the Bible translated in their language. I don't have time to go further into that, but how can we not be going? Jesus said, teach them all things that I have commanded you and to observe them, right? That word means to keep them, to obey them, to follow them, to live them out. And behold, I'm with you always. Well, he was just writing to those 11. Well, then why does he make the promise that even to the end of the age? Why would he tell people who are not going to live that much longer that until time runs out, I'm going to honor my presence among those who are doing this? Because this is a global call, not to the church, but to everyone who follows Jesus. So, well, I don't know that God's calling me to Russia or Southeast Asia. He may not be, but I know that he's calling us to mission, to be on mission. What does it mean? It means to move beyond humanitarian or social justice, and it means to have the gospel on our lips. And I can tell you that if we were to share our story, instead of just God bless yous along the way, people will hear a different version of Jesus. And they will see all the authority has, and he will open doors for us to be able to step through if we were willing to trust him. It's time for us to get serious. And he may not be calling you to Southeast Asia, but you may have a gospel conversation with someone that, that changes their life, and he may be calling them. But the nations need to know the hope of Jesus Christ. Two-thirds of the world today are walking without the one that we say is incomparable. Most of them have no knowledge of him at all. And yet, we plant our flag about our rights and our privileges and our blessing. All of the other times, Jesus has mentioned this in Matthew several times, Matthew 13 specifically and several other times where he makes this promise for all time. For us to relegate this to these 11 men is not fair to the text. It's not fair to the mission. For us to relegate this to only those that are spiritually gifted to do certain things, that's, that's not fair to the text either. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray this morning. And I want us to ask God to reveal His specific mission to us. And I want him, I would love for him to begin to stir in our hearts that he give us discernment and wisdom to know how we, what role are we, what part of the gear are we in this great thing that God is doing. And when you're tempted to doubt and you're tempted to question your part in it or your effectiveness in it, you need to remember you are. But he has all authority. Surrendering to him is the only way we can reach the nations and the person that lives next to you. All authority, all the teaching, all nations, at all times, and I am with you always. Will you stand with me, please? There's a lot, of, a lot of information this morning. But the thing that I want us to walk away with is there are no exemptions from the mission 
that Jesus gives us. And I know it's heavy. I know we sit here and we say, I'm just, it's hot, I'm uncomfortable, we've been sitting here a long time. I get all of that. But none of those things exempt us. It doesn't change any of the numbers that I just gave us. And again, we claim that he's incomparable and there is none beside him. It's true. It's true. So what must we surrender so that all peoples can know? Lord, we love you this morning. And as best as we can, we're scratching our heads with lots of doubt. And yet we worship you because you have the words of life. But here we are on your holy mountain and we hear your voice clearly. And just like those men, I'm sure this wasn't entirely clear to them what to do next. And so I pray, Lord, as we're in that same spot, if you would, if you would use this day as a movement, if you would use this day as a, as a time where we hear your words and, and we want to say yes, and yet we, we have lots of reasons to say no. We're not yet. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you'd begin to soften our hearts. You'd begin to give us clarity of what it means. What does it mean to, to go in our life? Humble us, Lord. Help us to move beyond the collective we or the church. Help us to move beyond the individualized thinking that we are so good at. And help us to see your authority at work in us as we surrender and as we obey. We thank you, Lord, that you share. We thank you that we are joint heirs of all that you have and all that you've been commanded to do by your Father. And so now, Lord, we, we continue. We still stand at a pivot place. The, the work of Jesus just shifts and it still shifts through us. And so may we continue the story that you're telling in us, may we continue to tell it until the nations have heard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning I want you to bow your heads and keep your eyes closed, and I, but I want to challenge you. And again, when I say missions, I want you to separate that from missionaries, separate it from the definitions that you use, but I want you to I want you to begin to pray, God, if you would use me, God, if you would teach me, God, if you would if you would demonstrate to me, move me beyond comfortable, I'm going to say this now, Lord, yes. I want to be used of you until all peoples know. Would you be willing to say that? Would you while nobody's looking around, just slip your hand up and say, I want to say yes to what Jesus has for me. You just raise your hands. I want to be able to say yes. I, I want to learn how to use my story to reach people. I want to be able to use the transformation that God has done in my life to reach the nations, if it were. So Lord, these holy hands lifted to you, I pray that you would use us in the river valley and beyond. Use us in this Jerusalem, Judea, even into Samaria. And Lord, may your glory through, through us move to the uttermost parts of the world. Thank you for your presence and your power as we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to close with just a word of encouragement. I, I know that there are times in our, in our daily walk where we just wish God were close or we just wish that Jesus were close, but I want to tell you, and I don't know that this is ex exhaustively the case, but he promised his presence among those who will say yes. He promised his presence would be near to those who are making disciples. 
If you want it, if you want a sense of God's presence, if you want an awareness of his nearness, let it be less about your circumstances and more about his glory. And you'll begin to re- you begin to receive and realize his nearness in your life. And it'll, it'll elevate you out of your circumstance so that you can see his mission for your life. I pray that you'll have his blessing this week as you go and as you make disciples. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.